well, he shouldn't be doing that. He shouldn't be playing there. Why is he doing that? Why do they have him there? It really starts to set a bad precedent because I know who your son is. I'm watching him play. Do I want to deal with that? Welcome into another episode of Baseball Americas from Phenom to the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Today's is the fourth in our series on sports parenting. Special episode for me personally, and one I hope you all enjoy too. Today's guest is Brian Rinke, the head baseball coach at Galveston College, a junior college in Galveston, Texas. And before that, Coach Rinke was the longtime coach of the Division II University of Texas of the Permian Basin. Coach Rinke was my college coach, one of the most important people in my life. He's been coaching collegiately for nearly 30 years and is also now a sports parent with a son who plays high school baseball. So in this edition, we talk a little bit more about the role of parents at the upper levels of amateur baseball. We talk about the mental skills players need to have to adjust to college and how parents can help, what role parents should and shouldn't play in recruiting and while their kid is at school, along with some other things we've tackled in this series, best practices, which you'll find run right in line with some of the other guys you you know we've talked to. Coach Rinky also talks about if it's harder to coach your own son or to coach other people's kids. So I, I was thrilled to have him on uh, tackle another side of sports parenting. Really hope everyone enjoys the episode. Episodes of Feed on the Farm typically drop every other Tuesday. However, we will be taking a slight break for the holidays, so we'll have another one in a couple weeks. If you enjoyed this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you haven't yet, please go check out past interviews. We're coming up on episode 100, so a lot there in the feed that's mostly evergreen. If you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. We are very close to spring training, to... Uh, college baseball season, a lot in the works there. It is always a good time to be subscribed to BA. And with that, let's talk to Brian Rinky. All right, joining in for today's episode from Phenom to the Farm, he's been a college coach for over 25 years. He's the current head coach at Galveston College. He was my college coach, and he is also a sports parent. Brian Rinky, coach, thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure, Kyle. It's awesome. I've been I've been wanting to do this for a long time, so I'm I'm glad glad we had a reason. Uh, I want to talk to you a little. This this series has has been a lot more about younger younger players and younger coaching and stuff like that. You've obviously been coaching at a high level for a long time, and your son is also older. So want to want to talk about that. I want I want to lead off with your your son's a a sophomore in high school. Is it and, and you've coached him in the past? Is it harder to coach your kid or other people's kids? Probably harder to coach my kid um, simply because, you know, there are expectations of him. And it's even just when he's playing and I'm not coaching, you know, they will look at him and say, oh, well, he's a coach's kid. Why is he doing that if it's a negative? So there are I I believe kids that that have dads or moms that coach them at any level. I, I think there's a higher responsibility for them to play the game the right way and, and act the correct way. I mean, there's, they've been taught certain things. They've, my son has been around college baseball players since he was born. He was walking around our dugout when he was barely yeah. old enough to hold a baseball. And that makes me yeah. feel impossibly old. <laughs> I mean, he, I, let's see, 13 years old, catching bullpens guys, you know, 13 years old, catching 90 mile an hour guys. And it's like, you all right. He's like, no, I got it. I'm like, okay. I mean, so it's, I think there's a, I think there's, they can have an advantage, but they also, they also have the disadvantage of knowing that they are probably having to do everything correctly a hundred percent of the time and the mistakes that they make 
generally are mistakes that that need to be corrected sooner rather than later. So I you've been you've been coaching at the college level a long time, both junior college and, and four year. And this is I want to I want to start with this in, in terms of like college baseball is a, an incredibly tough physical adjustment. That's something that like when I got on campus, I found out really quickly I wasn't I wasn't physically ready. But this aspect of it, I especially at, by my fourth or fifth year at UTPB, I, I really picked up on when we'd have, you know, kids get to campus, freshmen get to campus. And I'm curious your your take on it. How quickly can you tell that a kid is not mentally ready for what college ball requires? Um, I think, you know, for us at this level, in the junior college level, because we we start right away, we play right away. Um, I, I think it takes it doesn't take a long time, but it depends on, on which aspect we're talking about, you know, mentally, physically, play, mentally playing or mentally in the classroom, mentally lifting weights four days a week. I believe all of this taxes, you know, their mental toughness and in, in, in an incredible amount early. And so, you know, you, you, we talk to guys all the time about like, Hey, you're getting in here. We're going to break you down physically, probably break you down mentally because you're not used to this. And at the end, you're going to end up at a much higher level than when you came in here. Um, and it happens at every level, you know, four-year schools, junior college, you know, that we talk about the freshmen be, getting behind and they're going to get behind. Sometimes it's right away. Sometimes it takes a little bit depending on their skill level, but it's what, ha what they can do when they get behind the guys that aren't mentally ready for this will continue to falter and just fall farther and farther behind. I, I just thought, I thought the mental was, was even more, was more difficult than the physical because you get in and there is something mentally, especially at a four year when you're facing guys, especially that my freshman year, our team was old. Like yes. we had, you know, 22, 23 year old guys. Most, most of the starters I think were, were juniors or seniors. And it's, it's tough when you're all on the same team, guys who have been around and you're trying to just, you're trying to figure out how to be an adult person away from the nest. Um, with that, I, I remember one of our, maybe our first team meeting, you had told us essentially, I don't want to hear from your parents. Uh, and what are, what are kind of the best practices? What, what do you expect out of your, your players, parents, and, and what is the way that they can support a college athlete? Because I think, and you'll find this out soon, depending on where your son goes to college of like, after your kid leaves the nest, you've been there for every little league game and travel game and all the high school games and stuff like that. But when they're five hours away at school, there's not that same rapport or a constant interaction or watching everything that's going on in baseball. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that I, I would truly hope that all of our parents are just unconditional love for their kid. And if, and I, and I still tell them, said, look, I don't here. I've amended that a little bit. I, I want your parents to support you. I want them to love you. I want them to come support the team. I mean, we had tremendous attendance at our fall scrimmages. If they need to, if, if you've signed the proper paperwork and I can talk to them about your academics and going to class and making sure you're on the right page, more than happy to. If they want to call and ask why you're not playing, we're not going to have that conversation. And, you know, this year I actually had a meeting with the parents at one of our first fall scrimmages and said, hey, here's what we're going to do because communication's poor. But, you know, the, most coaches, you know, they're not going to communicate. 
with with them. And the kids don't communicate very well with their parents once they get to school. So I did I, I did a little test run this fall um, and, it, and it turned out about 99 percent positive. I, I actually started a group me for any of the parents that were on our. Of the kids on our fall team. And what I did on there was I posted, you know, we're going to play at Alvin. I would post the pitching rotation. I would post the travel list. I would do that stuff to help them understand. And then, if you know, who was going and then the home games post that kind of stuff. And and obviously there's some trepidation in that because, you know, what if their son isn't playing or what if there's issues? But, you know, 99% of it this fall was was tremendously positive. And I think an open line of communication that way solves a lot of a lot of issues because, you know, they don't know what they don't know. Um, and obviously, if, if somebody's not going to class and they're not traveling, then that's pretty easy to explain. Your your first interaction with a lot of these parents comes comes in recruiting, and it and that that can happen in a lot of different ways. I I know that like we had when we were in when I was in college, we had a ton of guys who were out of state, and you almost never you would never see the parents and things like that. But you also had a great relationship with uh, you know plenty of the parents on especially the teams I was on when. When parents, when when parents of high school students are starting to make that decision, and their kid wants to play, or their kid is getting recruited, and things like that, um, I think that's one of the traps that parents can fall into is really living vicariously through that. And you should go to this school, and you should play here, and and so I can post on Facebook and tell my friends that my kid signed with so and so. What are the what are like the good questions that parents need to be asking, and and. Also, what do parents need to be letting their kids solely handle when it comes to that process? I think in the recruiting process, good questions that come from parents or kids. I mean, you know, especially in junior college. I mean, there's there's some places that, will you know, we're probably the median. We'll carry 50. There's places that carry a lot more. There's places, a few places that carry a little less. You need to you need to ask that you need to ask, hey, how many do you bring in in the fall and hope you get a true answer? You know, how many how many catchers do you think you'll have on the roster this fall? You know, how many pitchers? And you can ask those questions, and those are all positive questions to ask. But on the other side, I think they need to ask, hey, how are the academics at your school? How will they get my son? How will you develop my son to get to another place? We are not the final resting place as a junior college at the four-year level we were and we made sure that you know we wanted guys to graduate and and graduation at junior college now is is very very important because the academic side will get you to a four-year school almost as much as your ability now because there are there are so many things on the academic side that can help you can get academic scholarship money you can you, you look better for schools for their graduation rate um, so I think parents need to ask those kind of questions. I think what they need to leave up to their children are, do they like to the coach? Is it a good system? Can I get developed? Will this be a place that cares about me or am I just a number? And those are things that you have to, you have to be specific about. Look, there are plenty of places that have great facilities and great coaching. There's places with great facilities and nobody gets developed. There's places with not great facilities and players get developed all the time. So I think it's about the guys that are on staff and you don't need 10 guys on staff. You need a couple guys that care and are willing to put the time in 
And that's the rapport you have to build with, with the coaches that are there. So moving off solely college, a lot of the, the mental behaviors and, and what kids need that a lot of that has to be built in with their relationship with baseball from the time, you know, when they start playing, when they're eight or nine or, or whenever up, up through high school. Um, you know, when you think about what a, what a mentally rounded kid is when he steps on campus, what are the, what are the kind of kids that, you, you know, you've seen in your 25 plus years from a variety of physical levels who come in and what skill, what mental skills do they have that leads to success and, and success in college baseball is determined, you know, a lot of different ways, but someone who can contribute, someone who's positive to the program, um, someone who does, does graduate. What do, what traits do those kids have that are, are what needs to be instilled before they ever even think about playing college baseball? I think one of the, one of the biggest things, um, you know, being able to be held accountable is something that has been lost. And I, I don't necessarily blame the kids all the time. Um, I'll blame parents. I'll blame coaches that they played for in the summer or high school. They have to be held accountable. And once that happens, then their response to you telling them to do something or following rules is yes, sir. And they turn around and go do what they need to do. They don't need to get in the last remark. They don't, you know, you tell them to do something that yes, sir. And they go do it. And I think one of the biggest things that, that we tell our guys is from day one, that you step on campus, you're being graded on everything. You're being graded on, you know, going to class. You know, we send out a message. How soon do you respond to us on the team message board, getting your stuff turned in, getting your grade checks done, following directions. Those guys that do all those things, are the guys that end up being mentally capable of handling a 56 game regular season in the spring because high school guys come in from playing 30 and then they go their summer league and they're only, they're playing a few innings a couple times a week. That's not, you know, that's not doing stuff that require the requirements of every single day in, in college baseball. Um, and I think the biggest key factor in all of this is, are they doing the right things when you're not looking or are they doing the correct things when they think you're not looking? Because guys that will cut off a sprint or not do the reps or do this, are they mentally tough enough to do what you need to do in crunch time? Are they mentally tough enough to get up and go to class every single day? Cause they don't go to bed early. So, that, you know, they have to get up and do things right. So the guys that do things right, I think it is a direct correlation to the guys that are, are mentally tough. Now you're going to get the outlier, the guy that does everything wrong, but on the field, he flips the switch and does everything right. And there's, there's places for guys like that. We've seen those guys. Um, and they become, you know, there's, you know, I, I, there's not, every rule is not for every guy on your team, unfortunately. And if you have too many rules and you have to enforce all the rules. So we try and keep it as simple as we can. And we're basically down to this all through the years. We're down to be on time. Don't embarrass the program, do things the way we want you to do them. That's where we're at. Because I think if, once we start putting, I, as long as we have those core values, I, I think those are things that, that college athletes can handle. 
when we start putting a lot of extra stuff in there, it just becomes, it becomes convoluted and, and, and they don't know what to do. They get overwhelmed. One of the things that's really difficult about college baseball is, is the self-evaluation and figuring out how you stack up and how you're performing. And especially if you're a freshman and you're playing against older guys, a lot of the time that fall is going to be the first time that you've really, really, really struggled. Or if you've struggled before, you're going to struggle way more than you've, you've ever, ever struggled in your life. I mean, the fall of my freshman year, I threw poo and we had a big leaguer on the team and that was not a good combination. <laughs> And, no, it wasn't. and, and learning and learning how to deal with that and evaluate yourself and be honest with yourself, both your highs and your lows is difficult. And I, it, especially doing this series and just thinking about this a lot, I think a lot of that stems from what I call generically the car ride home from, from a game with your parents at, sure. at, a, at a very young level. Um, wh- what are the best practices with that? How do you you know, you finish a game, you finish a practice, what are the do's and don'ts of talking out? And this is something that, you know, you've had to do now as a parent of talking out that game and evaluating that with, with your, you know, with your child, as far as how you performed and, and, you know, and, and just how to, how to mentally feel about that. I think the biggest thing, I got some really good advice from a good friend of mine a couple of years ago. And, and he said, you know, after watching your kids play, when the game's over, give them a hug, tell them you love them, and tell them I love watching you play. And we're done. And then if they want to talk about the game or you want to talk about it, give it 24 hours. Talk about, hey, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? Here's what we should have done. More in the sort of generic fault correction mode rather than the emotional mode after the game. I mean, and even, I mean, I've fallen into that trap where after the game, I, I will question my son and then I, I just have to back off because it's, you're invested and it's emotional. And I think you need to, the best thing in the world is to take a step back and just say, Hey, love watching you play. Let's talk about this later on if you want to. And I think as a parent, that's, that's the way to do it. Obviously as a coach, you see after most every game, coaches meet with their teams in the outfield maybe go over two or three or four points at this level, there might be much more in-depth fault correction at that time. But generally it's best to talk about a couple things. And then if you're practicing the next day, work on things that in the, that practice that you can, that went wrong the day before and not, you know, and it, it, it you walk a fine line in, 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 putting some people in the spotlight, like you have to understand, can this person handle me highlighting him him here doing something wrong? And that's the beauty of being with your guys all the time in college. You're with them all the time and you're able to understand who can handle it and who can't. And sometimes the guys that can't handle it need to be put in the spotlight to see if they can mature and become mentally tough, you know, but I think at the, I think at the the coaching your coaching your own son level, I I think it's a lot of times he's gonna listen to somebody else more than he is me anyway, because he's looking at me as his dad talking to him about the game rather than a coach. So it's okay. Um, you know, there's times for fault correction that and there's times for just saying, Hey, you know, 
love watching you play. Let's, you know, we'll talk about it later. And the opposite now of that, of something that I hadn't really thought about much until I started doing, um, until I started doing the show is also that evaluation when your kid is having a ton of success. This is something that, that my dad didn't really have a problem with. He didn't really have to deal with, you know, with, with talking to me after, after super hot runs or anything like that. But, um, I always point back to a, a guest we had on the show, Richie Schaefer, who hit everywhere, big prospect sure. out of high school, first rounder out of Clemson, and then got to high A and didn't play up to his standards and the, the wheels mentally fell off. Um, what, what is the best way to counsel a, a, a young player? Because, you know, kids will be great at 12 and be pretty good at 13 and so on and so on. But everyone's going to hit a wall at some point, especially when they even the most talented kids when they come to college will have that struggle. What's the, the best way to encourage success without also leading to, say, overconfidence or a, a, a sense of invincibility? Well, and the, you know, you look at it and you talk about it. I mean, you know, there's kids at 12 years old that are, you know, a foot taller and 50 pounds heavier than kids. And, and they're the ones having success at that time. And it, it takes time for people to, you know, grow. It takes time for people to be mature and become something what they will. So I think internally it just becomes what their skill set is. Um, bigger and faster in baseball at 12 is important. Um, bigger and stronger at 18 is not always the, is not always the difference. And I think it comes down to baseball skill. You have guys that are successful. I mean, and, and, you know, we, we all do this as coaches. We look at all the class rankings. We look at what perfect game will rank somebody. We look at PBR. We look at all this stuff, right? But inherently you have to go look and see, can they actually play the game? And kids will get to that. Like you said, I mean, Richie got to high A and this, it fell off. Sometimes, you know, I, I think it's important to challenge them as much as you can early on, whether it's, okay, you're 13, but you're going to play in a 15, 16 U tournament this week. You're 15. Can we put, get you on a team that's going to play in a 17, 18 U tournament? We need to see how they respond to, to negative days. We need to see how they respond to, you know, failure because this game, you know, there, there are so many opportunities to succeed in this game along with there's so much time to fail and for being a team sport and being the most one-on-one -on -one team sport probably there is how do we how do we judge that i mean if if we face if we're 15 years old facing a guy that's 92 94 and we don't get a hit but we worked a walk and a sack fly is that success do we consider it success individually well we didn't go three for three like we did every other tournament against kids our age so I think very rarely do we come across somebody who has a great day every single day. And when they do, you know, then they are the first rounders because they can produce. They, unless somebody sees an inherent, a flaw in them uh, as a pro scout to draft them in the first round, you know, and it's hard for us because we only get to see guys maybe once or twice. We watch videos. We get, maybe get to see somebody once or twice live. We can get them on campus, work them out. But do we truly know? And so, you know, when it comes to like back to coaching my son, okay, I want him to play against as good a competition as he can. Is he successful? Some days, yes. Some days, no. 
But and I think that's I think kids are much more in reality on how they compare to their peers. I think we as parents have the clouded judgment. And I think you have to surround yourself with good peers on your team, whether they're a good player or they're a friend. I, I think that's where they fully understand much more than parents understand the skill level of their children. And something I think that's that's crucially important with parents and just something I've seen in Little League and then through my experience playing is the importance of kids need to have the ability to be coached and deal with the coach. And especially in, in little league, when a majority of parents don't coach and also a majority of parents, a, a majority of the coaches out there volunteering their time, don't have a huge baseball background. You're not, you know, you're sure. not, it's not like Bruce Bochy out there with everyone, but eventually, you know, I would say this starts in high school, but it definitely starts in college you are going to have to, as a, as a player, you are going. it is going to be your responsibility to deal with your coach, whether you disagree with them, whether you agree with them, whether you have to fight for yourself and say, I want, I want to play more or I think I, I'm doing this or something like that. You, you have to be able to take that agency for yourself. And I think that's something that can that needs to be built in at a very young age. But that's also difficult for parents when you have little league dad who's just volunteering his time and doesn't have a baseball background and, and you might be seeing things. What are the best practices for parents at practice during the games, even when, you know, your coach tactically is not doing things that you'd agree with or you don't you think your son should be starting at shortstop in there in left field and things like that? Like, what are what are the best ways to go about that to build that that durable skill of being able to handle coaching for the good of the good or the better. I think, you know, and you can start this. I mean, I, we've seen it. I mean, you, you have a group of kids that you've grown up and played with on a select team. And then, you know, you add a couple more players because you're trying to be better. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe your son's not playing this position as much as, as anybody else. And well, we're going to go start our own team and start over. And it, it, it has led into, it has led into, um, just pick up my toys and move on. And, and that happens. I mean, I, I actually was talking with this about some people from my hometown not too long ago. I mean, I grew up in a small town in Iowa. Our little league was uh, when you were like seven or eight, you were drafted onto one of four teams and you were facing 13 years old, 13 year old kids when you were seven or eight. So now we all play in the same age group, right? We all, okay, this is, there's a one to two year difference pretty much in most of the the teams that they play on, they don't learn up and grow to, to, to play against other people. So the one thing that I did and my recommendation to my son was if he was ever on a team and wasn't playing the position he thought he should play in his mind, you need to go talk to the coach. I'm not your coach. I don't, I'm not there at every practice. I don't know what goes on every day. You need to go talk to him and be respectful and go, what do I need to do to, you know, to play more? What do I need to do to, to beat this guy out? Is there something I'm doing wrong in practice? I think, and I, I think they can do that from a very young age. I mean, if you have a 13 year old kid that comes up to you and genuinely asks coach, what do I need to do to play second base more? You need to take a hundred more ground balls a day. And then if they can go do that, they're, they're going to be better. Or you need to take more swings off the tee or, you know, you need to throw more strikes if you want to be a pitcher. I mean, it's it's 
sometimes we, we fill, fill our children's heads with opinions and things that should not matter because this had no matter what team they're playing on, even if it, it's a volunteer dad coaching, you know, the 12 U team of the little league and you know, they don't, they're trying to find out what they need to do to get better. I think the best advice to give your kid is go talk to the coach and ask him, what do I need to do to be better? Because the parent going to him only causes disruption and it only causes dissension. And I mean, how many videos have we seen of fights at little leagues and different things like that? And it's just, it's not conducive to a good learning environment. That's the point of playing is learning and getting better. Nobody cares about your stats from 12 to 17, 16. They don't. They want to see how you play the game and they want to see your skill set. And that goes back to being coachable. I think kids that are able to talk to coaches like that learn that, hey, if I'm invested and willing to talk to a coach to understand what I need to do to be better, then I can be more prepared. Because what do we do in college? We instruct every day. We have exit meetings at the end of the fall and the end of the spring. And they have to learn how to talk. We're not having exit meetings with the parents. We're having exit meetings with the kids. What do I need to do to be better? How do I get to be the starting catcher? Those are things that I, I think the best way to do it is to, is to make sure that they're able to discuss with their coach. And I, you know, whatever it is, football, baseball, basketball, I think those are things that you, you have to be able to communicate. If you just go to practice, do your job, sit on the end of the bench and leave and never talk to your coach, they may have the feeling that you don't care to play. I mean, their perception is like, he doesn't, you know, we tell him stuff, but he doesn't respond. I think those are things that, that can, you know, the coach will buy back into the kids too. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, in, in it, it's a good skill to learn because even when you're, even when you're 20, 21, I think, I think it was after my, my red shirt junior year. So I had just turned 22. I had to go into your office and say like, Hey coach, I think I, I, I should have pitched more this year. And it was the first time I had felt that. And that's still a tough thing to say at that age with someone who had coached me for four years. And so if you can develop that skill at 13, 14, I, I think that's a, a huge thing to take into, um, you know, just to, to take into adulthood in general, because that's the same as talking to a boss or talking to a coworker or something sure. like that. Absolutely. Um, I want to touch on something you mentioned with travel ball culture, which is one thing that has really changed since I, you know, since I was playing, I was in travel, you know, I graduated high school in 2009 and yeah. at that time in my area, and I lived in a, you know, in a, in a big city, there were a couple big travel ball programs and usually anyone who was starting for their high school team and going to potentially play in college played for one of those. And it was, it was like that, you know, that's how some guys hopped around, but that's pretty much what you did. And you mentioned the thing of now it's, if I don't like where I'm playing, I'm going to, I'm going to pick up and start over. Um, you know, I am, I am definitely for there being more opportunity for kids to play baseball outside of like little league or rec leagues or stuff, even though I think that stuff is, is very valuable. Um, but that leads to there's a lot of disparity in that market. There are great organizations with great coaches and people with that background are doing it for the kids. And there are some who just want to say like, we won the Wahoo classic in Houston this weekend and look at our, look at our rings. What, yeah. what matters with 
who your child is going to be playing their select baseball for or their travel ball for and what doesn't matter? That's a great question, Kyle. I mean, I think that's so open-ended and I'll, I'll go back to probably, let's go back to when I started coaching. I mean, like 1996 was the first year. And if I was going to go watch a tournament to go recruit, every single team was full of dudes, right? And as we've gone through this, now you're down to, you know, the the higher, you know, you've gotten to the point where organizations have multiple teams throughout the throughout the organization. And I, I think we get to a point, and, and I might be completely wrong, but I, I think we get to the point where they have a bunch of teams for opportunities for kids that are paying their $2,000 or $2,500 a summer to play. And then they have their elite level team, which is their invited kids, probably not paying much and going to play in the major tournaments. So if you're in a, a regional tournament and it's one of the lower teams in their organization, you might find one guy on the team that you think can contribute, but those teams ended up paying for the elite teams. And, you know, college coaches and pro scouts, I mean, they want to see as many good guys at a time as they can. And so sometimes you'll go to a tournament and you might be one of only three guys there as a college coach because the overall talent is not what it used to be because there's so many teams and so many organizations. Um, I've been part of an organization and helped with Midland Baseball Academy, and I've seen how that can help people. It can help kids get college scholarships because the point was to develop and get better. The point was not to go to every tournament across the United States and spend $10,000 in money that we'll never recoup in a college scholarship, no matter where we go. And if you're doing that for three or four years, you spent the cost of your college education right there. Um, and I, I was able to be involved this summer with, with, Midland High School and Josh Hewlin, he, he wanted to keep as many of his kids that would play in the summer together on his high school team. And we went, we went through a process of, yes, this is select travel baseball, but we're going to play to win. We're not playing, you know, we're not just playing to go play and play against other people. And, and we're going to, every tournament we go into, we're going to, play to win. And we ended up with, we started with the 16 U team and, and we had a couple injuries. So we started playing them against the 18 U's and picked up a couple juniors off the high school and the maturity factor that happened during that summer, when you were trying to play to win every single game, rather than just going to play in a tournament, I truly believe will help them in the future. And that's a different way of looking at it. It wasn't a program set. We, they weren't trying to make a bunch of money. Um, the kids paid. They It was pretty minimal. And you still traveled and did a bunch of uh, a bunch of different things. You know, played a bunch of different tournaments. We'd go to Melissa and play in good tournaments. We'd play some regional tournaments. And, yeah, doing that, you might end up playing some of the same teams over and over again. But you actually learned how to win and actually learned how to beat teams you know, that may have beat you earlier in the year. And I think the process of that is a development process. And potentially, I think that's a good way to do it. I mean, I, 
I think as long as the development side's there, it's good. I mean, you know, there's a lot of select teams that, hey, we play this weekend and this weekend, and we're going to practice one day in the next three weeks. It's not development. It's just going playing the game. And to get better, you have to make sure that you're going to be ready for college. I mean, I, I think the worst thing in the world right now is kids commit to college and then don't play the summer after their senior year. I mean, imagine going into Oklahoma State as an 18-year-old freshman, walking in the door and you haven't played all summer and your fall practice starts and you got guys that are 22, 23 years old banging stuff around in BP and pitching and doing that stuff because they played summer league. They went out and played somewhere. But it seems like that's the part where we've fallen. That, that's, the, that's the black hole right now is, hey, I committed – done with my senior high school season, going to shut it down for the summer. They step on campus and they're five steps behind. And especially if you're going to division one school, well, now at the end of the semester, they're like, Hey, you didn't come in ready. Um, you know, you didn't play this summer. You didn't come in ready. We got three other guys that are ahead of you. We need to, you know, we need to ship you out. And I, you know, it's, everybody loves the social media attention. It's cool. But the day you have to start working harder is the day that you sign and commit to a school because what you've done previously has gotten you to that point, but that's not going to get you to beat somebody out in college. Yeah. I want to piggyback on what you said about finding the right place to develop. Um, and, and that I think being so important as opposed to, Oh, I'm just playing for such and such organization. I've got this name and like, and that stuff, especially as you get into junior like that, it, it will matter. You're on a good team. You're playing good tournaments. You're being, you know, you're being seen like when you came and you got a couple guys off our team and it was easy for you. Cause we played at a tournament two hours away and you were able to come see a bunch of people. But one of the things that was the most important for me in my personal development was I think I was like 14 and I was playing for one of these big organizations and that we did a, we did a lot of practice and stuff like that. But going into the summer, I got put on the third team and with, it was mostly younger guys, guys, the class below me. And at first I took it really poorly and I was like, this sucks. And I want to play with my friends and guys the same age. And it turned out to be the, one of the best things ever for me because I was, I was more physically on par with those kids. I was able to be older. I was able to be a leader and I was able to play every day and still, you know, and still practice with the same kids and, and get better. And I think finding that, instead of just chasing chasing the name or thinking that it is about being able to put whoever you play for in your in your bio of I found the right place for me to develop and people are going to coach for me in the the right environment to succeed and I think that's where people get carried away because on the opposite end of the spectrum if you've had a lot of success and suddenly you're on a team when you're not you're not playing as much or you're you know you're surrounded by a lot of talented guys kind of like you were talking about with success and and bumping up there's a lot of value in that too you learn a ton like i learned a ton my freshman year my first two years of college when i knew i would never sniff the field but just watching guys who had done it and watching guys who were having success and i mean there were especially i mentioned that old old bunch of old guys we had on the team my first year the stuff i learned from picking the brains of guys like that, like, like Drew and Frank and just the stuff you could learn from them there there's value in everything, but it's, it's about finding the right development path for you. And I think people, people absolutely get carried away with, with not finding that. And with thinking that if, you know, I'll ask you how much, you know, when you're recruiting a kid, how much does, how much their travel team won when they were 14, how much does that matter with, with the scholarship you're going to give them? Zero. Absolutely none. 
you know, that's it's and people will say it all the time on social media. I mean, people truly will say it doesn't matter. I mean, we all want we all want kids from good programs, but generally the kids that come from good programs, you end up talking about their high school program because their high school coaches are with them more. You know, if they're if they're a football, baseball player in high school, you can talk to their football coach and their baseball coach. If you talk to their select coach, while those guys are extremely important because of the contacts they have at the college level, you don't get 100% full vision on that. Now, I'm lucky. I have a couple guys. I have one guy who played for me at, at UTPB, um, is very, very good with telling you the ins and outs of, of guys. And you have to have the trust of those guys because, I mean, if you're recruiting off a off a select team that you've never had somebody from before, they may be telling you hundred percent truth, but you've never dealt with them before. You don't have a rapport with them. Like I need to know the bad stuff. Are there any issues? What's going to happen if this happens? Are the parents good? You know, there's, it becomes, it becomes an issue because if, if you get lied to, then you don't want to go back to that organization. So when you talk about, a good organization, I think it's much more than just the amount of wins they've had. There's plenty of organizations that win summer league baseball games that that don't develop as much or, you know, they they promote guys and you get those guys and they turn out not to be what you were told they were. So those are important things. And it goes back to the trust factor. I mean, you have to have a good circle of people. Um, and it's very hard because we don't have as much time to go out and see people and we don't have the budget to travel everywhere all the time or the staff. So you have to make sure that you're on board with the people that you're talking to and you got to make sure that you can, you know, you can cross check those guys and, and reference them and make sure that, that they're, they're good. I mean, honestly, probably about 85% of the guys we recruit are from people that we trust. You know, there's a, there's a few outliers. You'll get an email from somebody in New York and, you know, who do we call to back check that? You know, that that's where you're sometimes taking the chance because of the physical ability and skill level. And but most times we're getting guys from people that we trust and know. Yeah. Lane Adams said something earlier in this in this series that I'm, I'm going to steal forever is that teaching winning baseball is more important than winning is is teaching those behaviors that that will lead to winning is more important than actually stacking a win at uh, at age 14 because those behaviors then translate to high school and the higher levels of that that creates a, a winning team there's there's no doubt with that i mean i've you know i've seen it i've seen 14 year old kids you know they'll go win a tournament and act completely unacceptable you would never recruit them based on that, because, you know, if they're doing it at 14, they're probably going to do it at 16 and 17 unless they have somebody to stop it. But if they're in that organization in the summer, they're still going to do it no matter what their high school coach stops them from doing. So, I mean, it, it does, you know, that you can see it build up. We've seen kids from their age of 14 to 17 to 18. And, and you see where if they go to school, are they successful? Can they handle it? And a lot of times the kids that we're not instilled with good ideals early on on the winning side of baseball. Don't make it. 
Well, let's let's kind of wrap up with the parenting talk of, you know, you're talking about good ideals. What are in, in high school at the lower levels? What are some of the red flags that you've seen stuff to watch out for stuff to shy away from when in terms of parents? I mean, unfortunately, I get to sit in the stands and watch games. And so you hear all sorts of just off the wall remarks and whether it's about it really starts to get hard to listen to when you have a parent who you know who their kid is and there's somebody else on the team that makes a mistake and you can hear the conversation and they're just absolutely, you know, hammering the other kid on the team. Well, he shouldn't be doing that. He shouldn't be playing there. Why is he doing that? Why do they have him there? It really starts to set a bad precedent um, because I know who your son is. I'm watching him play. Do I want to deal with that? And, you know, combine that. Obviously, everybody, everybody's a critic. Everybody's, everybody's smart. Um, but when it, comes to, when it comes to the high school coaching scene, for, and maybe it's where I had lived in West Texas, and you combine the fervor for football and it carries over to baseball. I have seen over the last couple of years parents in the crowd from opposite teams yelling and screaming at each other. And I'm just, I don't understand that. I just, I, it's, that is not what we're trying to do. And so those are huge red flags. I mean, and you, you always have the parent who has to be, um, has to always be talking to the coach after practice, you know, and it doesn't matter what they're talking about it means nothing, but it's the perception on other people. Well, he talks to coach every day and now his son's starting in left field. You know, and it's just or he, that kid makes a mistake and never gets pulled because the coach talks, you know, the dad talks to the coach and look, coaches get swayed. That happens in high school because um, you're dealing with booster clubs. You're dealing with, you know, people that are helping all the time. You know, does a coach in the back of his mind go, oh, I need to do this. Otherwise, we're not going to get that. Is the kid's dad a, a big money guy going to make a donation? You know, there's all sorts of things at the high school level that are that are. They should be as controlled at the college level, but they're really not because you have a booster club, you have an AD in, in high school that, you know, parents are much more involved probably when they shouldn't be. And those are issues that, you know, it's just not, it's not great. My high school baseball coach was one of my dad's best friends. My dad never even talked to him about me playing in high school. Not once. My high school coach's son played right next to me at second base. And I have never seen anybody in my whole life get his butt chewed as much as that kid. But I also know he could handle it. And I know the butt chewing wasn't his, it was for the rest of us. So parents that are able to just watch and support are awesome. If they have issues, they can go, you know, if you need to talk to the coach and take 24 hours, do it after, you know, don't do it right after the game. Don't do it. I mean, and everybody sees it. It's out for public display. Don't be hanging around for after the game to talk to the coach after the, you know, he got beat that night three to two and ask him why he didn't bunt in a situation or things like that. That's just, that's not how you do things. Because I guarantee if you turned over the lineup card to that parent, they'd have no idea what to do writing a lineup down and making a decision for the game. So to sum up on a positive note, what would you say, best practices are like your three golden rules for sports parent, especially behavior practice behavior in a game. 
I mean, three eagle. I mean, I, I harp on the same things all the time. So it's going to be, I mean, best practices are love and support your child, no matter good, bad, indifferent. Don't need to talk about it. You know, help out. Every high school program needs help. Volunteer help, hanging cages, hanging nets. You know, obviously financial help will always work. Um, but don't ever expect anything back for it. You don't need the recognition. I mean, you're trying you're trying to better a program. You're trying to help this program be better for you, for the next person when you when your family leaves that program. Um, and that's that's a, instead of tearing down a program, trying to help to build up and it will be better for the next person. And I guess third, just enjoy watching your kids play because it's probably going to be over pretty quick. I mean, I talking to senior parents last summer, they're like, can't believe he's a senior. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, we don't think he'll get to play in college. And I'm like, no, he's probably not going to. You know, he can go to college, but he's not going to play baseball in college. So it's like, I mean, you know, it, I don't know that I have golden rules in the grand scheme of things, but I will, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of supporting and loving your kids and making sure that you can do, making sure that you can make that a better place after you've left. I think that's as good a, a good a mantra as, as you can put together. Um, coach, I'm I'm so grateful you did this. I'm I'm grateful for who you've been in my life and the you know the impact that you've made on me and not cutting me a couple times when I gave you some really good reasons to. Uh I need a second chance. But um very good. <laughs> very grateful. That's all I've got for you. Uh thank you so much for joining from Feet on the Farm. Thanks, Kyle. Really appreciated it. You got it, coach. And that's it for today's episode from Feeding on the Farm. Huge thanks to Coach Rinky for stopping by, walking us through his thoughts on sports parenting in the upper levels of amateur baseball. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Rate and leave a review if you're an Apple podcast. And we will catch you in a couple weeks. Hope everyone has a happy holidays. Thanks for listening.